Welcome to the Sales Development Podcast, your trusted resource for the latest strategies, tactics, and tips on running a high-performance sales development program. Sales development has grown to become a critical part of the success of high-growth companies, and we dive in each week on how to specifically make your program successful and accelerate your career advancement. Subscribe at iTunes, YouTube, and jump on the newsletter over at 10pound.com to make sure you never miss an episode. Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Sales Development Podcast. I am joined today by my esteemed guest, a good friend of mine. We go way back, or at least a few years, Mr. Greg Tapper, co-founder and CEO of Pattern.ai. How you doing today, Greg? Pretty good, but let me just clarify. I wish we don't quite have the URL Pattern.ai. I'm talking with a guy who owns it. It's it's PatternAI.co, but hey, you know what, what? What's what's new for startup land? You know when you can't get the URL that you had your your sites on. Anyway, Pattern AI, but the URL is PatternAI.co. Okay, my bad. Thank you so much. So it's just PatternAI.co. Yeah. We'll link that in the comments below if people want to check it out. But right. Greg, you know, when I knew you, you were doing go-to-market consulting, and mm-hmm. then you've started this new venture. How did you get into this? And tell us a bit about yourself. People don't know. Sure. Well, so first of all, thanks for having me, Dave. It's, it's great to be talking to you. Long time, no talk. It's always great to talk to you about this topic is, you know, we both happen to love the topic. You know, I, I think the journey began, you know, you mentioned consulting and I was, I think the journey kind of began a couple years ago when I was at McKinsey here in Silicon Valley. And, you know, I was a, I was an associate partner and, and, and senior, what was called a senior go-to-market expert. So I specialized in go-to-market strategies for, for tech companies. And so the, the idea is that, you know, mark, go to markets, effectively marketing and, and sales, if you will, if you want to put it in a simple functional box. But I was focused on go to market strategies for, for marketing and sales leaders and, you know, lots of leading tech companies whose names you would know. And, and, you know, their challenges were always, you know, how do we drive conversion? How do we increase our growth? How do we capture new markets? Classic stuff that we think about strategically that kind of, you know, kind of distills down to what sales reps and, and marketers and people are, are often grappling with. And when I was there, I think like, you know, all things McKinsey, you, you have a chance, you have kind of a front row seat to really, you know, the best and brightest ideas. And, and you know, really one of the hallmarks of McKinsey is the, is the collaboration with lots of, you know, really super bright colleagues who are doing really interesting things. And I started working with a number of, of data science colleagues and machine learning experts to kind of bring them into studies that we were doing, which is what we call projects, but the studies that we were doing on uh, go-to-market strategies. and we started working and so you know they didn't know oftentimes a lot about go to market and, and I certainly didn't know very much at all about data science and machine learning and as we sat there and kind of worked on coming up with different solutions it was one of these kind of light bulb moments where you know I just saw the insights that we were getting that you simply you could not get with excel you, you can't get with excel you can't even get them with you know really were actually amazing tools like Tableau and, and Alteryx and others, or certainly even a lot of the analytics tools that are built into software applications that a lot of our clients were using. And so I saw that that you could do these incredible things with machine learning and data science. And I just, there was this light bulb moment where I just said, this is the next thing. I mean, why would anybody not be doing this? And of course, the answer is, you know, and everything most people know is because, you, you know, most companies can't get access to really good data scientists. And even if they do, it might be just a couple and even if they have those people, they can't get access to, you know, the capabilities and know-how and have kind of the, the framework or the, the approach or the recipe for how they would actually build these data science applications. 
And so I started thinking about it a little bit and started, you know, I literally, you know, just kind of sit down, kind of pull a data science colleague into a, into a conference room. We sit at the whiteboard. I would just say, you know, how can we put this stuff in a box? So it doesn't become consulting, but maybe we could turn it into a piece of software. And we kind of came up with a couple of ideas and that was sort of toward the end of last year. It had kind of distilled down to some pretty cool ideas I thought were promising. And I was talking with a friend of mine here in the Valley, who's a pretty well-known investor, does a lot of angel investing. And he says, you know, I love this idea. And literally said, he's like, you're a smart guy. Here's some money, go figure it out. And so on January 1st, I started the company and we're working on our first MVP. So to be humble, we're pretty early in the process, but we're pretty excited about some of the stuff that we're, that we're doing. Awesome. Okay. So your background was go-to-market strategy and working on that side of the business. And that's what you're going to be tackling first to try to figure out how to mm-hmm. organize that. Mm-hmm. And then you have a bigger vision though for data science as a service. So right. can we go into first, because most of the people on the call are interested in sales development, right? So they want to figure out how do I organize my database and be talking to the right people at the right time. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let's talk about what's your thought process in applying this to that problem? So not only good question, but probably the key question, of course, right? So, you know, why go to market and why not, you know, a bunch of other things. And I think one of the things you quickly realize, and I think the advice that was given to me as I talked, present this idea to just literally countless data scientists and AI experts and, and other go to market experts, people like you and so on. You know, people have done a lot of machine learning around sales and marketing. It's not, it's, we're not reinvent, we're not inventing something that has never been done before. That's usually a dangerous business strategy, right? I think there's this idea that lightning strikes, you know, and somebody has this incredible idea. And and the reality is, you know, from Apple to Google to whatever, most of these things have been done in one form or another. And so you're just, you're really effectively finding these inflection points and ways to do things. And that's, I think what this represents is just an entirely new way to, to approach sales and marketing. And so, one of the things you realize about machine learning and data science and, you know, when you get, we call it AI light because there are companies like Google and, and Facebook that are doing deep, deep, really complex AI. And I don't think that's necessary for a lot of sales and marketing and the data sets are much smaller and so on. But, you know, we call it ML AI or AI light, if you will, but it's deep ML and it's AI light is the way I like to describe it. Those are sort of unwieldy technologies. They're super complex and sophisticated. And I think, you know, we might even be losing some of your, <laughs> your audience right now is like, okay, you know, get to the point. Well, the big point is this, is that it's a big technology. It will change sales and marketing forever. That's a 100% certainty. And, you know, my recommendation to anybody listening is that they should be not only embracing, but learning and starting to build some degree of expertise and mastery in this in sales and marketing. So we're starting with go to market because you need to be focused and you need to have a very, what are called narrow solutions for AI. And so our approach is to start with narrow solutions that affect a very broad number of companies. In the go-to-market space, we're starting with two modules, if you will. We call them engines, data science engines or machine learning engines. The first is a segmentation engine that helps people like sales development reps, but probably more sales leadership and marketing leadership or marketing ops, identify their best customers. You know, in the Valley, we've talked for a long time about the ICP I think, you know, you were out there kind of pound the table early on this. I know I was early on as a consultant and, and you're starting to see this gain a lot of steam. It's pretty standard here in the Valley. And I think you're starting to see it in other parts of the country. In fact, even in the world as well as I've kind of traveled around, but people don't really have a deep framework or approach or certainly the tools to create an ICP. And when you talk to them, you say, what's your ICP? And I've, I've seen this in, in many, you know, boardrooms if I've presented to these, you know, these teams, 
And I say, well, you know, it's our ICP is, is healthcare or it's financial services or it's, you know, mid-sized healthcare. But there's not a lot of intelligence to that. Those are kind of things you can do in Excel. You kind of, you know, sort your data and say, you know, a sales rep might do this, right? They might just say, who did I sell to most last year? Oh, it was mostly healthcare deals. Okay, so healthcare's our ICP or, you know, large healthcare companies. In reality, if you use machine learning, you can do it what are, across what are called uh, multiple dimensions, literally unlimited number of dimensions. And so you can look at 25 different factors that might define who your ICP is. And so one of the things we're starting off with is, is defining the ICP using machine learning. And, and we think this is going to bring a whole new level of understanding for our customers, which are going to be mostly technology companies start off with, about who their ICP will be. That's the first one. And then the second one, building what we call propensity models. And the idea of propensity model is, you know, people might refer to it as, you know, lead predictions, but it's much more than that. We don't really just predict the likelihood something will become a lead. There are other things you can predict with these models. So big picture is we can identify who to sell to and uh, in terms of the profile, so you can go get more of those types of companies, but we have a great approach to doing that. And then another approach is just predicting, giving them some indication of who will become a customer and then how much they're likely to spend with you. Uh, based upon a whole whole bunch of different signals. So there's a couple things there. So, you know, it's interesting that I think about, there's always the advice of find your ICP from an mm-hmm. account level. Like mm-hmm. that's that's like foundational. It's almost noise at this point because yeah, it's, right. so, yeah. it's so common advice. But how are people solving for that right now? And what how will that change using the application of AI? Well, so that so that's a good question. Thanks for going a little bit deeper on that. So let's talk tactically for a second here. So I hope that wasn't too long beginning, but it is important to understand those concepts. The first is, if you look at what people are doing today, they will have a, you might, maybe they call a lead scoring sheet. So everybody's doing some form of lead scoring, right? Where they'll say, okay, if you get an inbound form fill or a phone call or email from a CEO, that's three points. If it's a VP marketing, it's two points. And if, you know, if it's a a manager level, it's one point. If it's a CEO from healthcare, it's you know four points because healthcare counts for one and so on. So they have these simple kind of systems. It's the right idea. It just doesn't have the power and sophistication that you can get with machine learning. So what we have seen in our work, and this is this is stuff that you know that we did at McKinsey and you know the the, the clients that that we had kind of done this for were you know really blown away by the level of of insight that we could provide. But you can literally you can say down to a number, well, you, it's actually literally unlimited number of variables. So you can say, you know, the size of the company, the location, the number of employees, number of offices, the number of engineers that they have on staff, you can literally go as deep as you want. You can say, look, our best customers are companies that are on average, in fact, we found this with a client, that are on average, they are less than 30 years old. So they're not old companies, but they're older than 13 years old. So they're not startups, right? And so age was a was actually a a predictor or correlated with the success of whether or not that lead would become a customer. So we could go to these, that client of ours could go to somebody. This is just one of the factors, but just to simplify it and make it clear that they could go to their lead list and they could go you know, using DMB or Zoom Info or some of these other data augmentation services. They can go there and say, you know, we want to find, or LinkedIn, obviously, we could find companies that are, say, you know, older than 13 years so they were established, you know, more than 13 years ago, but they're not, you know, 50 or 60 years old, right? 
And so, and then you add another factor in like size, and then you add another factor in, which is, are they based in the West Coast or East Coast? Then you add another factor in, which is, what industry are they in? Then you add another factor in, which is, you know, is the CEO male or female? Maybe that influences things. You can, and you can keep adding these factors. Excel completely breaks down at about two dimensions, right? So if you do size and industry, you know, you can sort of sort by one column, and then maybe within that, within that filter, you can filter by, say, industry, right? And you can see the revenues and say, oh, those are, but you can't do a couple things. You can't get predictive value and say there's a correlation that, you know, as company size increases, our deal size increases, or that as the number of employees in a company increases, the number of engineers increases in a company or deal size increases. It depends on, you know, what you're selling. So here's a big takeaway is that machine learning gives you the ability to use multiple factors what are called features, but you might call them variables or fields in a database could be another simple way to describe it. Machine learning gives you the ability to use multiple variables to identify who your best customers are. And that's going to completely replace this idea that, you know, CEO calls us three points, VP calls it's two points. That's not sophisticated enough, right idea, but, but not quite the level of granularity or sophistication that people need to really, really make those decisions. So for your audience, for example, you know, we're building a module now that's our MVP, in fact, is going to be launched tomorrow, that a sales, that an SDR or a VP sales or CRO or somebody or anybody would be able to go into our, what we call the segmentation engine, be able to upload your customer data. And you'll see in really pretty cool visual, in fact, I have to, I have to demonstrate it to you, but you can see really visually compelling answers is one of the things that, that defines our corporate culture is that we, we provide visually compelling answers, but you can see very clearly not on a table in a grid, but you can see very clearly visually who are our best customers. And we were looking at one customer yesterday that their best customers were it just completely stood out in the UK. Their best customers were 48% of the time VPs of sales. And so why sell to, you know, IT when you know that 40% of 48% of the time in that cluster, your deals in the UK were for B- VP sales. So an SDR could just go into LinkedIn and go search for VP sales in UK if that's their territory and go just start putting their attention on those opportunities. And that is the kind of sophistication that we want to bring to the to our customers. Okay. And I can imagine that if they are setting up that Excel spreadsheet right now, that you know, if they have bought into the fact that we have to have a ICP and really, you know, focus everyone on our ideal customer profile. So they bought into that and they have something set up. I can imagine that it gets pretty complicated pretty quickly on the Excel spreadsheet. And you have to be in there probably at least once a quarter or more updating it because your ICP is is changing. Mm-hmm. And that kind of puts it in the hands of a human and not necessarily a more sophisticated system like what you're describing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So there are a couple, I think, layers to that question. The first is, you know, data integrity and, you know, data trust and so on. I think, you know, the the expression nobody trusts their data is true because when there are too many hands touching an Excel spreadsheet, you know, when it finally gets to the VP sales or or the CRO or, you know, the board or CEO, people, they fundamentally, you know, you've been in those meetings, you know, with the board or the CEO or whatever, and, and people, they just look at that and they just, they discount everything you know, the truth of it by 50%. They just say, I just don't believe these numbers. I mean, it might be directionally accurate and so on. They don't believe that. So this does solve that problem where there's effectively the ability to manage your data a little bit better. We're not creating a, you know, a data lake or data repository or enterprise data warehouse, but those things can certainly make that stuff a little bit better. It does kind of begin in the, in the CRM, of course, 
you know, whether or not sales reps are putting in the data. Of course, most of them don't, or when they do, it's not always, it's what we call choppy data, which is not great. But what machine learning can do is what Excel cannot do is work across multiple dimensions. So as you mentioned, the, the second part of that question, Excel does break down and it breaks down really, really quickly. In fact, there's a guy on our team who's kind of an Excel jockey and he's really like, he writes macros and all that kind of stuff. And when I was demonstrating this product to him before he started working with us, you know, he was just blown away. He's like, I, I couldn't do this in Excel. He's like, maybe I could, but it might take months and months because you can do anything in Excel if you really want, but it's, it, you're basically writing software code, right? And so what we want to do is convince people there's always going to be a need for using Excel for, you know, this and that. But if you really want to do a proper segmentation analysis, you're going to have to look across multiple variables. And, you know, I've seen the code that our team is writing and it's just, it's, I don't know how many, it's, you know, a couple thousand, several thousand lines of code. I don't know what it is, but it's a lot. Like you look at the screen, I think to myself, well, I couldn't write that code and it's amazing. And I just think there is no possible way that you could do that with Excel. So why is anybody using Excel? And, and to put it differently, I went and met with a friend of mine who's a woman who runs a, I don't know, three or $5 billion company. And I sat down with her and I was just kind of talking, we were having coffee and, and, and I was presenting what we're doing. Just, you know, one of my, as you know, I get a lot of coffee with people. My framework for coffee, so to speak, is I sit down and say, here's what I'm working on. What do you think? And who should I be talking to? Right. Here's what I'm working on. What do you think? Who should I be talking to? So I sat down and presented to her and she just said, she's like, you know, well, we probably couldn't afford McKinsey. This is a three or $5 billion company. She's like, you know, we probably couldn't afford McKinsey. She's like, so I, I don't know if we would work with you guys, you know, as consultants. And I said, well, what about this you know, DSAS thing I'm working on here, data science as a service? She's like, she listened to it for about maybe 15 seconds. She's pretty smart. And she's, uh, she's like, why is everybody in the world not using this? She's like, I want you to call my global head of sales today and present this to her. In other words, I, I drove back. This is here. In, it was here in Menlo Park. And I drove back to the office in Redwood City. And I got there and the, the intro was already in my inbox, called up her global head of sales and, and presented this concept to her. And she's like, this is, she's like, I want a proposal right away. This is sort of at the end of when I was at McKinsey and, and I was just thinking about starting this company. And then of course, we kind of, kind of built on this concept. And frankly, actually McKinsey wasn't that interested in this idea because they're like, you know, we're not a software company, we're a consulting firm. But the idea here, David, is that people who are smart, who are struggling with this problem, the sales leaders, the sales reps, the marketing ops people, CEOs, boards, that they're like, we don't know who our best customers are and we just don't trust Excel. Excel can't, even if we do trust it, even if it's pristine data in Excel that one set of hands has, has touched, that Excel breaks down and we just can't, there's a chasm between what Excel is able to do and what machine learning is able to do. And again, you know, for your listeners, I just can't imagine that anybody who sees this technology, whether it's ours or somebody else's, we're not the only people working on this, but somebody's going to look at this new way of doing things using machine learning and just say, yeah, no, thanks. I, I think I'll just stick with Excel and, and, and have lesser insights and, and keep, you know, floating around in the dark here. It just, it's very hard to conceive of that future. And so, so I think most people get that. Most people say, okay, this is the next thing. And you've, I think, been reading a lot and and seen a lot of these, these articles that most people don't know how to start with AI, right? And so what we've done is we've kind of put it into a box and now it's data science as a service. And so the concept is just make it easy for people to do so that they can just give us their data and we can provide these insights. So we have the machine learning models deployed in the cloud for very narrow problems like say ICP definition or customer segmentation. And they'll just get those answers. If they want to have, you know, build their own team and do their own thing, that's great. There's whole market of people doing that. But for the people who can't, get access to those data scientists, people who don't have the time or the resource to go up and build the whole approach to doing that or the, 
you know, the data pipelines and all that, you know, here's a solution that does that really quickly. And, and I think as we start to think about next steps, we haven't worked on the go-to-market strategy yet, but for the next steps, we'll start to think about, you know, how we price this and how we make it, you know, truly accessible for people. And I think that's what really excites us is they're just this smart people get this and smart people say, I just, I need a better way. And it's interesting because there's kind of those, those silos at companies that could potentially use this. So you got the marketing team and then the sales development team sort of interfacing between marketing and then you've got the sales team. And, Mm -hmm. you know, in your mind, who would own this? Would there be, and then I, you know, I know that it depends on the size of the company and, Mm -hmm. and how many different verticals they're going after. There's not just like one funnel at a company there. There's multiple funnels. But in your mind, who would own the creation of the ICP using this and then, you know, bringing that through to, because you could see that the, all the different, you know, results of having an ICP that's created and, and agreed upon and, and dynamic, it could flow throughout those three different silos. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. It's a good question. Like it's a little bit into the go-to-market strategy of, you know, who we sell to and, and all that. And yeah, by the way, for your listeners, you know, if, if you want 10 years of management consulting, and before this, I was an entrepreneur and built and sold a two-timing 5,000 company and sold that in 2011, which for, don't get too excited, here in the Valley amounts to far too little <laughs> economic <laughs> outcome. It's funny. It's pretty humbling when you're out here and you see, I sold my company for $7 billion. How much you sell yours for? <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, but, um, you know, after being an entrepreneur, you know, I spent about 10 years as a management consultant and, Mm. and, you know, I can distill go to market strategy into three, into three questions, right? This is fundamentally, there are three things that people answer, whether you're marketing or sales or you're the board or CEO or whatever, it's who do we sell to? What do they care about? And how do we sell to them? Right? Who do we sell to? What do they care about? And how do we sell to them? So our first, so ICP really answers is one of the ways to answer the question, who do we sell to? There are other ways of doing it. And so we're answering that first question with our first, what we call the segmentation engine, which is, you know, upload your data and we'll tell you who you should sell to based upon the different, what are called clusters that emerge. In marketing, you might call them segments. In data science, you'd call them clusters. We kind of marry those two concepts. The idea of who owns it, it's an interesting concept. So to be clear, we are not a SaaS company. And that's going to that's gonna sound strange to a lot of people. I think SaaS is the old model for software, as much as SaaS is continuing to grow, I still think it's, I think it's growing, but the new model to me is machine learning. And if you look at how companies like Amazon and others uh, price their products and think about selling it, you know, even companies like Snowflake, it truly is usage-based model. It's not a per seat model. SaaS companies, they still do price per seat, right? So it's, it's a hundred dollars per seat per sales rep per month. And the real model of SaaS, the real promise of SaaS, which has not yet been truly affected, I think, by most companies. A couple of them are kind of picking up on it. Snowflake's one example. I know the investors over there, we've talked about that. There are some interesting models that Amazon's using. Amazon has, you know, pay attention to those guys, of course, but their AWS platform's incredible. It's really about, for us, it's about computation because machine learning is about analyzing all this data and it has nothing to do with whether or not you're a sales rep accessing it or you're a marketing ops person or whoever it's completely irrelevant who the seat is it's really are you sending you know a ton of data through our system uh, through our engine so to speak and what is the computational capacity that's required for that in fact as you know there are these things called gpus which are these sort of new forms of chips that are designed 
for machine learning. Companies like NVIDIA are making those so that the traditional CPU isn't even really able to handle the kinds of computation, mathematical computations we're doing. So, you're, so sales reps should just be able to access our system. And it has nothing to do with whether or not there are seats. So when you ask a question of, of you know, who owns this, it's kind of like saying, who owns a light switch? And what we're saying is, well, actually, there should be 100 light switches. Everybody should just have access to a light switch and just turn it on. What I mean by that is anybody should be able, and, and our thinking is that they will be able to just log in and you can view the data, you can see the insights that maybe a marketing ops person did the ICP and they, you know, she might share that with, you know, with 20 other people on her team and they'll all access it. There's no limit to who can access that, right? But if they want to upload a bunch of data or if they then say, well, I'm going to go deeper on this and they click, you know, basically, you know, push a button says crunch, you know, crunch more numbers. Well, we're going to have to pay Amazon for that. So we, you know, we'll charge our customers for that. The idea here is that you pay for insights, you pay for the actual machine learning capabilities. You're not paying on a per seat basis. So that's the first answer to that question. And the second answer is that as we think about who we sell to, it's really people who have a need to know that first question, who do we sell to, right? So who do we sell to? Marketing is going to say, well, who should we market to? Who should we go out and advertise to, right? Who are these people? Are they male? Are they female? Big companies, small companies? Are they East Coast, West Coast? Are they EMEA? Are they USA or so on, right? And actually, it's a combination of those factors. They'll need to know that. So they'll upload data. We'll tell them who that answer is. A sales rep might just log in and just say, hey, I have this lead, you know, this is Joe Smith. I'm going to type in some characteristics of what are called features about this lead that I have. And then pattern will spit out the answer and just say, you know, there's an 82% likelihood that this lead will convert to a customer and that this customer, if they do, they'll spend, you know, $17,000 over the next year in business. And so they'll see that and they'll make a determination that sales, that could be an SDR, could be an AE. They'll actually be able to determine using our kind of smart math behind the scenes to determine whether or not they should pursue that. And then finally, you could have, you know, a sales leader would say, look, we have, you know, 3,000 leading in, we're going to upload all of that, so to speak. It could be automated, as you pointed out earlier, but we basically take their data and we give them an output that says, you know, of these, call it a thousand, of these thousand leads, you know, 300 are likely to become customers, 200 you know, are definitely not likely to become customers and don't focus on those. And then, you know, there's some others in there as well. And so it would allow them, and this is an important point. I think there's this idea that, you know, we think that machine learning and AI are going to give us all the answers. They're going to take all our jobs. They're going to do everything. It's not quite like that. It's really, it's really probabilities. It's really spec, it's really a spectrum of outcomes, right? So of the 300 leads are likely to become customers. Some are extremely likely, some are somewhat likely, but they're different than the ones who are definitely not likely. And so what we're doing and what machine learning gives you the ability to do is just direct your attention to those opportunities where you should be. So you're not wasting your time. You think about in this world now where, you know, budgets are going to go way, way down over the next 6, 12, 18 months, right? Until this whole pandemic clears over. So it's hard to believe that sales and marketing leaders are just going to be spending, you know, frivolously on their budgets, which will, by the way, will be cut. And, and sell. And so, you know, they'll need to focus more. They'll need and need some insight that says, look, you got a thousand leads. Don't waste time on these 200. They're not likely. Focus on these 300 over here because they're very likely. And that will presumably increase. And we've demonstrated it. It will increase your conversion rates and, and it'll increase your ACV and, and deal values and so on. So we give people that leverage that they just simply don't have otherwise. Got it. And so in practice, you know, you look at Friendster, and then you look at MySpace, and then you look at the success of Facebook, right? And so 
you know, because we've been around for a while. So we've seen companies come out and and mm-hmm. say that they can help to prioritize the set, the go to market database, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. using these technologies. Mm-hmm. And then they either kind of go sideways or they go by the wayside. Mm-hmm. But but I think, you know, looping back to your the beginning of the podcast, you said that you know, yes, there has been work done on this. And, you know, you've had a couple of Friendsters and a couple of MySpaces. But I think what you're saying is that, you know, we're getting to the point where you you can actually deliver on the promise of this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, you and I have talked about this. And and trust me, I, you know, when I was first starting this, I would literally, Mm -hmm. sometimes I still do, wake up at two in the morning, just go, you know, what in the world am I doing? Right? Like, is this right? I mean, are we right? Is this a good, is this a good strategy? And so on. I tend to lose sleep over those kinds of things, like most entrepreneurs, but I, and you should, but I think the thing that's, it's comforting is that a, a few things happen. So let's go back to your Friendster Facebook example. Like you said, we, you know, we've been in the Valley here for a long time. So I've, I've seen, you know, there are only so many plots out there, right? And, you know, <laughs> Shakespearean plots still exist today in movies. It just, it's hard to reinvent interactions and, and things that happen. So, so Friendster came along and had a effectively a really good product. And it's very similar to Facebook and Facebook that might've been, you know, let's say that they completely duplicated them or they, they were a big chunk of, of what Friendster was doing. There's also the timing of things, right? So people were talking and people have been talking about AI for, I think since the fifties or something, right? So long time. What we're seeing now is that probably in the past 10 years, that machine learning and, and AI have really come out of the academic research circles and into real real world applications. And we're just starting to see that. So that inflection point of real world applications, or I should say applicability, so I don't confuse it with software applications, but real world applicability is coming into play right now. We didn't have that. In fact, by the way, after I'd sold my company, I was going to start a, a computer vision company. It was a mobile application for for mobile commerce using computer vision. Okay, it was really cool. We had some really smart people on the team and we had a pretty cool product, but we overshot the market. And that was an important, somewhat painful lesson because I put a decent amount of money into that. But there was this idea that you take a picture of something and and you could see, you know, see it, you know, in the stores around you. And it was a really clever concept and a great idea, but the market wasn't ready for that yet. And second, the technology wasn't ready. And the third, that the data wasn't there, right? So what happened so that was an important lesson, I, and I'm very mindful of that today, and it's pretty humble, I should say, about that, because it's, I don't want to repeat that kind of mistake, right, and overshoot the market. The second thing is, if you look at yeah. Friendster and Facebook, so what Facebook, remember, even when Facebook was starting, you, you might remember this, people were very wary about sharing their data, and you, know, you could log in with you know, Facebook to different sites, and people worried about this, you know, Facebook sharing all of our data. They still are today. I think most of us have be, either become sort of, you know, kind of, I don't know, desensitized to it, or we just say, you know, it doesn't matter what people know about me because there's seven other billion, seven billion other people that people can worry about, right? But one way or another, over the past decade or so, people become less and less sensitive about their safety and sharing their friends or their privacy, I should say, and sharing private data and connecting with all these different strangers and people and all the, and so social media, it took a massive amount. Fundamentally, the product must have been so good, I guess that people really loved it. I think LinkedIn, for example, is, a, is an extraordinary product. I, I just can't imagine. In fact, I can't imagine how you sold that because I used to sell like you did years ago before LinkedIn. But today it's just this incredible social platform. It's, we don't get our news there. We connect with people. People reach out to me all the time and say, hey, you know, interested in pattern AI and, you know, let's talk about that. So we've completely put aside all these concerns that I think Friendster was probably a little bit early. MySpace just chose a different sort of angle to the market. They chose this 
I think they were doing a lot of music stuff at the time. Facebook just fundamentally, I think, had a better product and the timing was right. So back to your question now, there are companies that have done this before. We've seen them out there in the market doing, you know, so-called quote-unquote lead scoring. That's the kind of the phrase that people use. I think we're doing much more than lead scoring. And by the way, we are not just a sales and marketing company. What we're starting with is because we see that there's a really obvious opportunity to help salespeople. This is an area where if you're a data science, you, data scientist, you typically wouldn't go work for the sales department, right? You go off in product or maybe FP&A or something. So we think there's a really big opportunity just to serve the sales and marketing function or the go-to-market function more broadly. Right. And that's, I wanted to ask you about, because you're starting with this, because this is, this is clear pressing issue that has not been solved. And that's why I was curious because, you know, I've been in rooms with like, I won't say old, but, you know, crusty sales leaders and marketing leaders who are just like, you know, they plugged in the predecessor to what you're building. And they're just like, this is BS. This is not mm -hmm. like they go by their gut. And I think mm -hmm. there's still a lot of that out there. They, people, they create their ICP and, and their lead scoring system based on their gut and what they hear from the salespeople mm -hmm. and stuff like that. And then when the machine comes and tells them something different, they're just like, this is BS, right? Mm -hmm. So, so the first mm -hmm. thing I think is like, you got to convince those old and crusties <laughs> that the, mm -hmm. and you'll be able to do that right by results that you show. Mm -hmm. And as long as people are, it works and people love it, then it's mm -hmm. going to be successful. Now, also, your vision is bigger, though, than just go to market, because mm -hmm. as data science as a service, you can apply this to millions of different use mm -hmm. cases, right? I mean, not millions, but I, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like you need to plug this into solving COVID-19 and, mm -hmm. you know, all these other things, right? Right, right. So, so that's a good point. I think that's I think that the opportunity here is, I mean, our mission, we're, at some level, we're a mission-driven company, but our mission is to bring artificial intelligence and machine learning to the mass market, right? To the everyday user, and, and in right. particular, those who don't have access to these capabilities. We'd certainly love to sell to Google. They can probably do a lot of this, but, you know, again, their, their data scientists are probably tied up doing other things as well. They may not be, you know, working, I mean, I've worked with Google in the past. They may not be using their data science team to, you know, help with their go-to-market strategy. I, I'm sure they are because I've seen some of the stuff that they do. But the reality is that 99% of the market, and they're what, there are 36 million companies in the United States, millions and millions of companies just will not in the next five, 10 years have access to data science capabilities. And somebody's going to have to bring that to them. And so whether it's go-to-market or we're going to help them with, you know, their COVID-19 strategies, whatever that looks like, helping airlines you know, do better pricing based upon, you know, the dramatic changes in fuel pricing, you know, like, where do you suddenly make these dramatic mathematical, you know, insights? And it's, you simply can't do that stuff in Excel, or you need people who are, you know, writing software code to do that. And that's what we're done. We kind of plug that in there. I want to get back to your point about for sales, because, because, and I just want to impress this point upon, I, I think, you know, your audience here, which maybe it's sales people, but it's probably also a lot of marketers, if, if it's sales development people, they're overseeing a lot of that. There's this, I think there's this, you know, we're afraid of the things that we don't know and, you know, machine learning and AI and, you know, all this drama about robots overtaking everything. It's pretty daunting and it's intimidating if you think about that, you know, dystopian future. But on the other hand, if you see the stuff that we're seeing, if you see the insights that we're getting with our customers, it's, I would, I would say, I would urge, I should say, any sales development rep or any marketing leader or sales leader to really embrace this exciting technology because it 
machine learning is the future of everything, including in sales. It's happening today and it works. And it's not perfect and certainly early, but it is incremental, I would say quantum advantage over how other people are pursuing their go-to-market strategies. And so if you're a sales rep and you can type in a name and get an incremental advantage of insight or answer about, should I sell to this person or not? Should I reach out to this person? And secondly, what should I say to them? We're working on that. It's one of our next items here, right? But what do you say to these people when you get them on the phone or when you sell, when you reach out to them on LinkedIn? That these things are, are enabled by uh, machine learning. And so your, your sales audience here, marketers as well, should be embracing this technology because it really will provide massive leverage to what they're doing today. It's going to give them insights and answers that they simply would not have otherwise. And we, we just think that's incredibly exciting. It's amazing that we can bring this to smaller companies that don't have, you know, the massive budgets and billion dollar, you know, revenue, you know, mm -hmm. you can, because of the computing power that we have today and the ability to pull things together, you can bring it to companies that would not be able to do this, you know, just a few years ago. You know, it's an interesting point. So if you think like, I mean, I, you know, I talk with the team and I just say, this is incredible. Like you look at what Amazon is doing. It's a service to companies like ours. Like there's, it's, you know, there's Jeff Bezos would say, it would be irresponsible of us not to use AWS. Google Cloud is another example. Azure, we happen to use Amazon, but these are these cloud platforms or infrastructure as a service. I mean, we couldn't have done this five years ago. We couldn't have built this company five years ago. Today, we can just turn on, you know, AWS could be GCP, Google Cloud, or it could be Azure, something like that. But these platforms are enabling whole new businesses to emerge because we suddenly have access to this computing infrastructure that we couldn't have otherwise. And that concept is extraordinary. So we can then build on that and then we can do the same for our customers and we can bring machine learning and, and AI down to the everyday customer that couldn't have that themselves, right? So it's just kind of this, there's this value chain, if you will, where we're on top of Google, sorry, AWS could be Google, could be any of these other companies because they've made it easy for us. And then we're building on that to make it easy for other people to use these technologies and then maybe other people use that in some way as well. But it's there is this incredible inflection point taking place in the market where the data has emerged to be available, the computational capacity is there, scalability of Amazon infrastructure, for example, or GCP or whatever. And then it's the idea that these machine learning models have real-world applicability. One of the great things I found at being at McKinsey was just seeing how you know, these clients would just absorb this. And they just said, this is incredible. We can't get these insights otherwise. So we've seen the market demand for this. By the way, companies have not succeeded in this market for a number of reasons. It could also be the timing, but there's also execution. You know, I mean, I, I made a career, you know, a lot like you are now by going into companies who, you know, didn't get the go-to-market right. I say that humbly because it's, it's very hard to get right, but there's also a go-to-market strategy. It's how you price things, how you package them, how you present them, how you deliver the actual product and so on. So I think we tend in the Valley here to overemphasize the technology and we underemphasize the go-to-market considerations and the real packaging and solution and what we do. This can't be a black box, for example. We see machine learning and AI as a journey, and we want to take our customers through this journey. And the first thing we want to tell them, including on podcasts like this, is, is look, first thing is just embrace this technology. It's, it is here. It's irreversible. It does work. It's pretty amazing when you actually look under the hood and see this. You just say, why is everybody in the world not using this? Like my friend, the woman was saying, why is everybody in the world not just using this? This is just, this is obvious. And then third is just 
finding ways to use that in your own company, whether you know you work with a company like ours, you build your own, is this technology is incredible, but embrace it today and then find ways to use it. And you'll it will literally help you hit an inflection point in your sales strategy if your sales rep finding the right people or if you're marketing just you know going out and capturing you know leads that you couldn't otherwise have the focus to capture. It's an amazing I mean it's an amazing opportunity. It's really at this point it's only limited by the creativity of of applying it to the different use cases because mm-hmm. of the the amazing technology. And then mm-hmm. the other thing that I was thinking of is we also have the layer of distributed workforces and the way that you can work with the best and the brightest throughout the world today. And it's even accelerated by the crisis, but with remote technology and high bandwidth, you, you know, you could work with the top minds in the world without ever leaving your home and, and you never even meet them. And, yeah, and so combined right. with the power of like an AWS and, and a remote workforce and then you know, applying these things to the pressing issues of the day, you're really only limited by the creativity that you have, you know? Yeah. I mean, think about it. Like we're doing the same thing right now, you and I are, right? So we have this podcast and, and you know, you'll be able to reach, I mean, you're effectively, you know, a mini media company, if you will. And I, I don't, sorry, I don't mean to downplay it by saying mini, but just like compared to like CNN that has, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of viewers. I hope you do someday, right? And I hope you invite me back when you do. <laughs> it, depends on how, it depends on how well this podcast goes. But this idea that, you know, you have this now, this new channel for, you know, bringing together a bunch of uh, listeners and people who are interested in the topics you're talking about. You get these people to come on and talk about their perspectives on, you know, what they're doing. And now you have this ability to you know reach and provide valuable perspectives to this mass audience of people and what would you have done 10 years ago i mean you might have had a conference call perhaps you might have recorded that but then you know i don't know could people gotten it on some device and so all this stuff is really kind of converging covid 19 or the coronavirus is sort of i guess a forcing function for us to kind of reassess what business models are the best clearly the ones that are in the cloud are the best but by the way i mean we're pretty blessed, you and I are, and I think a lot of people who are in technology, I mean, you know, you, you really feel for the people who are, you know, who are at the front lines, who are in like the service industry and so on, because those people are the hardest hit. It could be on the other foot, right? It could be, the, you know, it could be this massive internet outage. And, you know, I hope that doesn't happen. But if that does, then, then everything would shut down because then you and I wouldn't be able to sit here and talk. We wouldn't be able to write the code and to work with the Amazon servers and to provide machine learning as a service out there to all these people. And so, you know, that's a good point. Man. We're blessed we, to have this. I mean, <laughs> if, so if the true. internet went down, we'd be in, we would be in yeah, a lot of trouble. I mean, hats off. I mean, first of all, hats off to all the, the people that have to go out and, and do all the services that we vitally need. And, you know, if what if there's an EMP attack, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're all these electromagnetic like, poles, fat, yeah. fat, happy tech yeah. people. Yeah, right. When the aliens show you're up, not you know, fat. you're in pretty really good in shape, trouble. but I'm I'm definitely getting fat over here. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, I hear you. I know. It's a good point. So, okay. So we're blessed. We're lucky. We're very, very grateful yeah. to have this. And Greg, I'm excited, dude. I cannot wait to see what <laughs> happens with Pattern AI. I think yeah. it's it's amazing. And I think you're gonna be the Facebook um <laughs> in, a, in a graveyard of MySpaces. So if folks yeah, want to do you. this and they're excited about this, what's the next step? When is it going to come out and how do we get, how do we sign up? Good question. I, you know, I'd say, first of all, uh, as they say today, hit me up on LinkedIn and uh, <laughs> dude, you could not pull off like 
street talk, man. I know you. Yeah. <laughs> you are not street, Greg. All right, just say connect. You know, I'm yeah, um, hard reach. Time. Let's let me sorry, let me put it in corporate speak. Reach out to me on LinkedIn if you. Will. Yeah, I mean, I'm pretty open about connecting with people. Unfortunately, yeah. I get too many people trying to sell me things, which is kind of my inbox of LinkedIn connections is all like, you know, we are selling you. It's okay. I read them anyway, just because maybe somebody's doing something interesting. But really, I mean, I think people should. I think the bigger point is, you know, whether you work with us or you pursue it anyway, the big picture I think I'd like people to walk away with your your listeners here really, really importantly is this is the next big thing. I mean, I've, you know, some people are kind of earlier in their careers and some people probably like you and I have been doing this for, you know, for a number of years. This is the next big thing. I mean, I've had, you know, I think the fortunate opportunity to be in the Valley here for a long time and see you know, what's going on and, and to see this movie over and over. This is the next big technology. I think it's bigger than, this will be bigger than than the internet itself. I know that's a big statement, but, you know, people like Elon Musk and others are saying something similar. This that's is a true. very, very big deal. And it's very hard to imagine that no job will be touched without it, you know, and that includes sales. It includes, for example, McKinsey. I mean, we're we're effectively taking consulting outputs and putting them in a box, if you will. So, you know, white collar, blue collar, it's it's nothing's not going to be touched by this really incredible new technology. The first thing is just embrace this technology, whether you work with us or or some other company, you do it yourself and go learn about it. But embrace machine learning because this is the next big thing. The second thing is, I guess, if somebody did want to work with us, it's pretty early for us to be serving lots of different companies. We have a couple of customers right now. If you're a sales leader, marketing leader, you know, we have an MVP that we are literally launching tomorrow. We're super excited about it. If you, if you, if you see it, I think you'll say, this is pretty cool. It's pretty unbelievable what sort of insights we're coming up with and the, and the patterns, we call them patterns, but the patterns that we are able to, to show people in their data is pretty cool. So, you know, I don't know, just reach out to me on LinkedIn. Probably a lot of people who are listening to this podcast or people I know, because I think you and I have a pretty good network here in the Valley. So we might be, you know, talking to people who already know us. So if you're listening, uh, we know each other, just reach out to me. I don't know if you know that we're working on this, but I'd love to show you what we're doing. And I'll, you know, I'll leave you with my perspective about how I approach these things, which is here's what I'm working on. You know, what do you think? And, you know, who should I be talking to? I'd love to hear what you guys think. So feel free to, to reach out to me on LinkedIn and I would love to chat. I love that. I love that. Greg, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us on the Sales Development Podcast, and we'll get you on again in a few months and, and see how it's going. I'd love to. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. Stay safe, and thanks again for having me. Thank you for listening to the Sales Development Podcast, the only audio forum 100% focused and dedicated to sales development with your host, David Delaney. Please be sure to subscribe to the show on YouTube and take a moment to leave us a review on iTunes. Your support makes our show possible. If you are struggling with your sales development program, contact us at 10bound.com for a no-obligation exploratory call. Again, that's 10bound.com.